Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DMVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, things got busy. Well, a whole bunch of things happened. Basically, yesterday was my girlfriend's birthday, and so I was like, okay, go buy your girlfriend a birthday present. Turns out that uh, that isn't like a one-hour thing. That's like a, wow, this thing is like a little bit too small or like this I'm not sure about the color and you wind up going to like three four stores and then you're like uh but the the point is turn into this whole big thing yesterday and uh there was also other stuff going on I didn't waste the whole day doing that but there was also like a birthday dinner and stuff not to complain too much she's actually out of town now which means I'm having a pretty awesome Saturday well again that sounds bad um great great girlfriend but also, I've got a 12-leg college basketball parlay, and I'm about to make so much money. Um, none, of the, none of the games have finished yet, but the three games that are going right now, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the right side. I'm on the right side. So, wish me luck, and uh, we'll actually talk about that parlay a little bit later on. Uh, I do have the buffs in there, so... I take that for what you want um let's see let's uh let's do this podcast so we haven't talked since the Colorado Buffaloes made it five win no four wins in a row sorry that was so dramatic um tonight though they could go for five when they take on Stanford sorry I'm still getting kind of thrown off last one's Cal this one's Stanford and next week is when you play the Arizona schools Uh, but that doesn't matter right now what matters right now is getting this win tonight we're not going to dig in too much to like previewing it because it's what 153 right now game tips off at eight so I don't know maybe some of you are going to listen in this like little in between period probably not though Uh, you probably have college basketball parlays of your own and you're making your own money today and for that, I am very proud of you. But we are going to talk a little bit about the Cal game. Yep, that's right. Sorry, these Cal, the Cal-Stanford thing still screwing me up. But um, we're going to go through that. There's, there's also some news that broke in the last couple days. Um, first, Colorado added a receiver. The, the first receiver to sign since Phil McGagan took over as wide receivers coach. And uh, he's a good one. He's a good one. It's actually kind of interesting because 24-7 sports doesn't have the composite grade up on him. And I would guess that that means that uh, ESPN hasn't submitted one because it's I mean, it's ESPN or rivals that didn't. And I think that betting ESPN, they're probably the safe move. Um, so there's that. We're going to talk about him. He had offers to all sorts of schools and committed, obviously, pretty early to Colorado. Uh, So we'll we'll touch on that a little bit. Um, We'll talk about the basketball game a little bit. And we also found out yesterday that the college football playoff will not be changing its format until the current contract expires, which means four more years of four-team playoffs, which, again, I uh, personally think is horrible for a whole bunch of reasons. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about basketball a little bit. And uh, we're going to talk about the the new commit. Uh, should be should be some fun. I've got no time limit today. Again, girlfriend's gone. I've already had McDonald's. I'd already had the Valentine's chocolate she forgot here. I've already had some peanut M&M's. I have these little beef. They're not even jerky sticks. They're like beef sticks. Um, I've had a couple of those. Um 
drinking some water. I mean, it's a, it's a good day for basketball, and I'm pretty fired up for tonight, too. Um, ooh, all that. I should say one more thing. I did uh, hit a parlay. I think, I can't remember if I gave this out when I was on bets or not, but uh, it was such a good one, and it was such a, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of this one. It was Germany to win the uh, Luge Mixed Team Relay Gold Medal. And uh, again, we love the German Lugers, and that hit in minus 200. Chloe Kim to win the women's half pipe snowboarding. Uh, that was obviously a lock. That was minus 380, but that hit. Uh, Eileen Gu won the uh, women's half pipe in uh, the, the skiing at minus 250. Again, like not great odds, but they all hit. And Eileen actually won two nights ago. And then last night was the final leg. And that was Nico Porteus, the, the half pipe skiing prodigy from New Zealand who won at plus 175. Just a quick little four-pick parlay. Um, plus 629, that hit last night. It's been a, it's been a good time. It's been a good time. Uh, so let's, uh, let's dig in. And we might as well start with the, the recruit, the commit. Let's, uh, let's go there. So uh, Edward Schultz. Edward Schultz is a 6'195 195-pound wide receiver. And I just pulled up the 24-7 sports page again. Uh, to to double check that they had him as the number 125 wide receiver in this class. He actually did get his final ranking um or not final I guess, but but the the final group whether it was Rivals or ESPN gave him his rating and so now we know he's a 0.84 prospect, uh number 95 wide receiver in the country in this class. And um, while those numbers aren't all that exciting, I mean, what does 0.84 mean? Let's just jump back to this current class. Um, that number would make him 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Like the, the number 17, 18-ish, probably like 18, 19-ish recruit in the 22-man uh, class that the Buffs just signed. 24-man uh, class the Buffs just signed. Um, so, again, that... That doesn't stand out to you. You you look at like the year before, that 0.84, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. I think he would be 8th or 9th. I can't it was 0.84 something. I should have kept that page open. But again, like you look at the overall rating and it's nothing special. But then you watch him play. And when you watch him play, you get a little bit more excited. Um comes from California. Uh, they they say J Sarah J Sarah Catholic. It seems like that J should be some sort of like it should stand for something. It should be like an initial for something, but I don't know. Um, beyond just being a receiver, he's also a returner. He's blazing fast, and I think that that's what really stands out the most about him is that he can be that speedy, deep, over the top threat. Um, and that's something that I think Colorado has kind of lacked. Um, and may, maybe not totally lacked. But, you know, you you look around the NFL. I mean, who was in the Super Bowl? Hopefully this goes well for me. Um, the the Rams are in the Super Bowl. They've got... I mean, Cooper Cup's not really one of those speed deep guys. Robert Woods is a great example of that. Robert Woods is kind of the, the downfield. Like, maybe only catches a couple balls a game. But his job is just to take the top off the defense and force everybody to take a couple extra steps back and open things up underneath. Um, who'd they play? They played the Bengals. Bengals don't really have one of those guys. Um, John Ross doesn't really see the field all that much. Um, but Tyreek Hill's like the definition of that guy. For the Broncos, K.J. Hamler, those first few weeks when they had him, it just changes the dynamic when you have that speed guy. Um you know, Deshaun Jackson, those types of guys. And you sort of have that in Brendan Rice last year. He does have that sort of speed, but he, I'm not sure that he's, he's that quick twitch type of just, phew, there he goes, little jitterbug guy, you know? And I think that those are really valuable to have, obviously, because they just change what you have offensively. Um, and that's that's one of these things that Phil McGagan has said um, when, when he talked about recruiting receivers he said there's there's a lot of questions that you have like first of all like can he catch the ball in traffic is he a good route runner um those sorts of things does he want to learn does he have the right attitude but one of the things that he threw in there was 
how does he change the dynamic of your offense? And so I really think that that's the emphasis here is that even if he's not somebody who's going to catch 100 balls a season, he's somebody who the defense has to respect. And maybe that just means saying, we got to play a cover three, and we've got to leave that corner sitting off him so he doesn't get over the top. Like that, again, it just makes it easier to game plan when you have that piece. Um, and, I, and he adds something they don't really have. Um, you know, Daniel Arias, deep threat, but not a true burner, Right. Not a get up to top speed quick and just, whew. you know, that's the sound I think of when I think of those guys like, whew. and not, not, oh, sh- oh, shoot, there's a NASCAR. Like, we're talking like almost like toy car electric up to full speed immediately and just gone. And, and it's just so nice to have that aspect of the offense. Um, you know, Jalen Jackson, I think, could be kind of that same type of guy, uh, but obviously has struggled to stay healthy during his career at CU. And so I don't think, I mean, best case scenario, he's a one-year solution, right, as a senior. So there you go. Um, yeah, so so there's, there's basically my thoughts on the football side of things. And he'll make some plays underneath too. You know, there's, uh, in his huddle highlights, there's, for example, like a, a quick, little sit route. And I think it was against cover three. It might've been cover four. Uh, I don't remember if I knew I was going to talk about it, would have paid more attention to that play. But again, they sit off because they know I have to respect it. So it's like, okay, we'll just turn around right there, catch it, run forward, pick up seven, eight yards. And I think he actually put a move on the guy and got more than that. So you have that aspect and just stretches the defense out there. Cause you got to almost bracket him, right? Because you, you have to have him covered over the top and if he's just a functional receiver, you get him underneath. Now, if you can add all those other things, well, then all of a sudden you're talking about uh, Terry McLaurin. You know, he's one of those speedy little guys. I mean, Tyree Kill is the obvious one, but we're not. That Tyree Kill is a very one of a kind type of player. But but you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I also. So, so again, the first thing you see is that 0.84 and think like, huh, okay, that's, you know, weren't they going after like all these, uh, these big name guys, like the, the best of the best out there. And, and then you watch the, the highlights and you're like, okay, I see what they see here. He's 6'1", 195, and he can fly. And now if you can coach him up a bit, well, that's, that's really exciting. And then you look at the offer sheet. And honestly, that's probably the most exciting part you know, he has offers to Utah, he has offers to Colorado State, um, Minnesota, Nevada, North Texas, San Jose State, UNLV, Western Kentucky, um, but also some pretty big-name schools. I mean, Florida State is in on him. Uh, Texas A&M, they're having, I mean, what's being called the best recruiting class of all time last year. Buffs just went in and took him from him. Um, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's in on him, and who knows what not having Lincoln Riley does to Oklahoma's recruiting, but again, when you're going out there and you're beating Oklahoma and Texas A&M for a player, and Florida State as well, Arizona State as well, I mean, the fact, you guys know what I think about recruiting ratings, they're they're dumb, they're dumb as hell, and are they, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, the there is a difference you know if if in a vacuum the odds are better that the five star is going to be better than the four star who's better than the three star who's better than the two star who's better than the guy who doesn't have any stars like if you're just going to pick a player yeah odds are that's the way it's going to turn out but how much variation is there within that that's the big question and the key to recruiting is figuring out which of those guys are the 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 guys who are over underrated um and i mean and that's not even it because it's not like you know phil mcgagan sitting in his office office going like huh what does 24 7 say about this guy like that the, you know that 24 7 is just a way to to put context to these players for people like me and you who care about this stuff so that i can quickly go and say oh Here's what their composite says. Okay, seems like that's going on. Oh, you compiled all this information? And they do really good work in a lot of different ways. But 
again, if you put too much stock on any individual rating, it's it's not how that works. And I'm trying to think of like a good example. You know, it's it's like a it, it, you you pull a couple of jump shooters in, right? And it's like, oh, this guy's really good. This guy's a 45% three-point shooter. And it's like, oh, this guy not so good. He's a he's a 30% three-point shooter. And it's like, okay, so you have those things. But also, it's just like, they're each going to take one shot. Is it more likely a guy with the 45% shooter is going to make his? Yeah, definitely. But, like, how much more often is that going to happen if, if you were to play those odds? Probably not as different as you'd expect. You know, there's a good chance that it's just like, oh, he missed it because he misses more than half. And it's like, oh, that guy made it because he makes one in three. Um, and that's... Again, you, you want these five stars, you want these highly rated classes at volume. But, you know, where Colorado is now, that's that's just not what they're going to do. They got to identify talent for themselves. Um, so there's me repeating all my thoughts on recruiting that I've repeated hundreds of times on this podcast. Always love doing that. Um, and I think that that's basically all I have to say about Edward Schultz. Um, third commit. You'll remember they already have Ryan Staub, the quarterback uh, from uh, California. He's 6'1", 190, uh, .8266, according to the, the composite. Uh, he uh, He's the number 39 quarterback in the country as of right now. And that's the other thing, is that these ratings will probably change quite a bit over the course of the next year. You know, it, I don't know anything about the high school that Edward Schultz played at, but you know, is there a, a solid chance that he's now moving into, you know, that senior role where he's going to get ball after ball after ball thrown to him? There's a chance, right? It's a total guess on my part, but hey, your role expands, you put up bigger numbers, you go along. It might be tough to hold on to him, if I'm being honest, but this is where we are now. They also have uh, Cam Beiser. He's their third commit defensive lineman from Houston, 6'3", 240. Still doesn't have a rating committed on New Year's Eve. Uh, so there's there's the update there. We will keep paying attention to all this, obviously. And, uh, hey, with those three commits, Colorado right now, third in the Pac-12 in the 2023 class. So uh, patting guys on the back, why not? It's uh, It's been kind of a rough offseason in a couple of ways. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to see if we can get Edward Schultz on. Um, he's, he's actually in Vegas this weekend, he said. Uh, for a basket, I think it's a basketball tournament. He said for a I think it's a basketball tournament. So um, hopefully we'll be able to hear from him and talk about being recruited by Phil McGagan in the next couple days here, Monday or Tuesday or something. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, and uh, we'll talk more about that if it happens. Real quick, uh, I mentioned DraftKings before. Let's uh, let's do a DraftKings pick of the week here. Let's do a DraftKings pick of the week. Um, Let's go with the Buffs tonight. This is kind of simple, right? Like, it's not all that exciting. Uh, it's it's not like I have some, like, ooh, have you looked at what Bradley's doing recently? Because, actually, the truth is I have not looked at what Bradley's doing recently. Um, with Colorado, though, and you can get plus odds. I think they're plus 120 right now against Stanford. Sure, they're on the road, but it's just, uh, I mean, they're hot. They're really hot. And for some reason, I didn't take them. I think they were minus four and a half or something like that against Oregon State. That's that's a lock. That's a lock. Um, and and now they go here. This is this is time to jump on the train and uh, hope that they can keep this going at plus money. I don't think you can turn that down. So there's your DraftKings pick of the week. Also, speaking of DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Uh, there's an awesome offer that's going on right now. If you bet $1 on any NBA basketball game, then you can get 150 in free bets if you're picking the correct winner. Um, obviously, like the NBA can be, I mean, a little bit unpredictable, but there's like ways to get rid of that. Like, I don't know. There, there, there's a lot of games where there's a team that's on a back-to-back or a team that's like closing out a long road trip. If you just find a pretty standard game where there's none of those 
outliers that are out there. Um, things that kind of put a twist in stuff, you know, like right before the all-star break, weird things happen right before the all-star break. And it's like weird things might come back right after the all-star break, but you, you wait until they're one or two games back. Just say like, this is the golden state warriors against the Sacramento Kings. It's like, yeah, this is, this is a simple one. So put your $1 on that team Win $150 in free bets if you're right. Um, there's also like the same game parlays. There's all that different stuff. It's safe. It's secure. It's reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DMVR. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code DMVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Also, want to remind you guys about Sexy Pizza. So Sexy Pizza has been around in the Denver community for about 13 years. Uh, they're super local, obviously. They, they provide hand-tossed deck oven pizzas. They make their dough from scratch every morning. And you can choose your own adventure with their wide range of toppings, or you can try one of their signature philanthropies. Uh, a portion of every sale from these five specialty pies is donated to a range of different nonprofits right here in Colorado. Looking to have Sexy Pizza support your organization or event? Go to www.sexy.pizza and check out their About page for the donations link to see how Sexy Pizza can support your cause. They have 12-inch crusts, 16-inch crusts, 18-inch crusts. Uh, I just realized how hard it is to say crusts crusts um but sexy pizza is sure to be the right fit add on all of the fixins with wings salad pasta knots dessert options vegan options uh gluten-free crust so much great stuff they've got four locations in denver and they just opened a new location in trinidad so make sure that you're checking out sexy pizza it's great stuff and we can't recommend it enough all right um what should we hit next? Um, I'm really excited to talk about the college football playoff, but I'm even more excited to talk about this basketball game against Cal. Again, like I said, it's four wins in a row for Colorado, and I'm not going to lie. I feel like it's it's a little premature for me to take a victory lap right now. And again, I, I'm not the only one who thought this, but early in the season, before the season started, you know, we talked about how the the path for this team to be successful, to go to the NCAA tournament, was probably going to include them winning like 8 of 10 to close out the season. And now here we are. They're on a four-game winning streak with four games to go. It, it, again, it, it still probably won't be enough. I mean, if they win out and then they uh, win a game or two in the Pac-12 tournament... I'm not sure where exactly that puts them, but I guess that they're, I mean, at the very least, they would be in the conversation, you know, especially because you, you, you like to, the committee likes to lean on teams that were successful late, you know, teams that are playing their best basketball. And so, again, I, it's not totally time for victory lap, but I do, uh, I do feel pretty good about this little run that they're going on because I, uh, it's what we were talking about, right? It's what we were talking about. Um, and again, like, it's just so hard to see it coming, even when even when my thought coming into the season is like, okay, if, if you're going to get X many wins, well, this many are going to come in this final stretch. When you're sitting there, having just seen the buffs drop, you know, five of their last six games, it's hard to say, like, they're going to turn this around. And not only are they going to turn it around, they're going to win 88 to 63, 81-76, which hey, close game whatever, 90 to 64, and then 70 to 62 in a game where that I mean, Cal made a little push at the end to to get that back to single digits. The Buffs are playing really good basketball. And the truth is they can play much better still. You know, you still see some turnovers. You still just see some dumb stuff. Like a player will go to cut and a player will throw the ball where the, the, the first player was cutting from instead of where he's going. It's just like, oh my God, that's brutal. Uh, but I think that that's even more exciting, right? Like you, you want to see that there are things to improve as frustrating as it is to live in those things in that moment. Um, so 
again, that was all pretty broad stuff, and I'm not ready to say, like, okay, Buffs tournament hopes have been revived. I mean, they're sitting there at what? Uh, let me let me double check on these net rankings. But I want to say they're like 85 at the moment, which is, um, I mean, obviously not good. If you think about it, there's, I think, 32 conferences, right? Is that right? So there's 32 automatic bids and then another 36 or something because of those extra teams that go to... Um, the uh, go to like the the first four. That's what they call it, first four. It's it's almost March. It's time to start remembering all these phrases. But I mean, so I ran through and just took a look at the the current ESPN bracketology that Joe Lenardi puts out, um, and then updates basically every day. Um, but but right now. Like I said, Colorado sitting at 85 in the net rankings, which isn't good enough to make the tournament. Again, like 68 teams go, so you're obviously outside of that. But again, on top of that, 32 of them win because they win their conference. So like the Big Sky, terrible conference this year. Usually not this bad, but one of those teams is going to win the tournament and they're going to wind up going to the NCAA tournament, even though they're much further down the net rankings. Again, you guys know all this, but just in case. As it stands right now, the first four teams out, or no, sorry, the last four in, according to what Joe Lenardi thinks, are Memphis, ranked 40th, North Carolina at 45, Michigan at 31, and Creighton at 66. Then he also puts the first eight teams that are out of the tournament. And here they are in the order that he puts them there. BYU is 51, Oregon 72, SMU 49, SDSU 42, Kansas State 62, Florida 53, Belmont 50, Virginia Tech 37. So again, you kind of see this range, right? Where if, if you're in the low 50s, you're you're excited for Selection Sunday. Like you're headed over there and you're like, okay, let's uh let's let's see what happens here. Um, if, if you're in the mid-40s, then you're saying, okay, we think that we have a pretty good shot. We think that we're, we're probably on the inside of this bracket. Um, and, and that's the range that they got to get to, and they've got to jump those 40 spots between now and tournament time. You know, I think that obviously there's more to it than just your net ranking, although that is a really big piece of the way that committee, the committee evaluates these teams. So that's why you circle the Arizona game next week is you, uh, you you see that as your big opportunity to put something on your resume. Again, like Oregon's second team out, and they're sitting there with a 72. Why? Because they went down to the Southern California schools and beat them at their place. And with that on the resume, it's a lot easier for the committee to say, hey, is this a team that could compete for national championship? Yeah. And, and so we're going to put them ahead of San Diego State, who I guess has a better resume. So you look at what's left and say, if you win everything but Arizona and you say win two games in the NCAA tournament, or sorry, the Pac-12 tournament, eh, maybe you get into those low 50s. But if you can get that win over Arizona, that's big. Obviously, you can't beat Arizona on Saturday. Uh, you have to beat Stanford on Saturday. And so we're still in this place where it's like, okay, check the boxes, see if you can go. You, you just moved up from like 90 to 85. Well, this one gets you from 85 to 80. Arizona State maybe gets you 80 to 75. Arizona gets you 75 to 55 or 57. Um, and then you have that game against Utah to potentially get down to like maybe even to 50. That's probably a little aggressive. You probably don't get quite that far. But Hey, that's that's what you're looking at, and uh, again, from there you win a tournament game or two, because um, again, whenever you lose, that's going to set you back. So you just want to push that loss back as far as you can, um, or you know, just do it the old-fashioned way and win the Pac-12. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, they'll have a chance. They'll have a chance. Everybody gets to go to Vegas. Uh, so again, there's there's just the the big picture state of the Buffs. But getting into what made them so good against Cal. I mean, there's so much to point to. And they, they they did a good job getting to the rim. They did a great job getting to the free throw line. Um, 
the the rebounding. They out-rebounded Cal 32-20. to 20. Uh, They only turned the ball over 10 times, and I guess Cal only turned it over 7. But it was just a, a pretty clean performance, which is what you need when you're on the road. They fell behind early. I actually bet on the bus when they fell behind early and got a pretty sweet deal on them. Um, but then they... Uh, they fought back and held on. You know, they put together like this five-minute stretch where they flipped it from a seven-point deficit to a seven-point lead and basically led for led by double digits for most of the final ten minutes of that game. It was a it was a really clean game, and I think a few people really stood out. Again, it's so easy just to kind of ignore Jabari at this point because. First of all, a lot of what he does is pretty quiet. You know, he's down in the post. He gets a little layup or he gets to the line. He had six free throws that he made, and that was worth a third of his points. Um, and, and so because the expectations are so high, because you just expect him to be out there, honestly, getting some easy buckets, right? Like a lot of that stuff down in the paint, he should be getting some good looks. It's easy to say like, oh, I didn't really notice him all that much. And then you realize he tied for the team lead in scoring with 19 points. 6 of 14 from the field is really solid. Um, you, hunting that 50% mark didn't quite get it. That's just fine. Um, 19 points, though. 15 rebounds for the second straight game. Sets his career high with 15 against Oregon State. And then bounces back next time out and does 15 again. Just a really, really good game. And clean. I mean, had the two, two turnovers, which you don't love, but... They are using Jabari so much, you know, putting so much on Jabari's plate that you're going to have at least a couple turnovers from him. Uh, block in there, a steal in there, only one of four from three. Yeah, I mean, Jabari did Jabari things. And it seems like at this point, this is kind of just the performance you get from Jabari. Now, this has also been a stretch of games where you haven't seen teams, you know, like in Arizona, for example. And you wonder what happens when he when he goes against them. Is this just his ability to beat up on some of the, the lower tier teams, the bottom half teams in the Pac-12? Potentially. But luckily, you've got another game against a, a pretty average Stanford team tonight. And the standards don't get raised until you go play Arizona. And those other two games that you have, Arizona State, Utah, those are the same caliber of teams. So I think that there's the... There's a lot to like about what Jabari is doing right now, and I also think that NBA teams are probably paying attention to that. Moving on from Jabari, though, I mean, got to touch on KJ Simpson. Just a spectacular night for KJ. 19 points, 5 of 9 shooting. Love it. 19 points on 9 shots. It's just so impressive, so efficient. Uh, he turned the ball over once. Are such a really clean game. And this comes after Keyshawn strung, strung a couple of good performances together, right? I mean, you're starting to see that that this the, the level of play for these point guards has taken a step up, I think, over these last couple of weeks. Um, and, and is it enough for them to be considered a, a dangerous team in the, uh, in the Pac-12 tournament? Eh, I don't know. Are, are, they, are they a team that has, like, top half of the Pac-12 point guard play, it's like, I don't know. They probably need to take another step to to really get themselves firmly into that top half. But you're seeing at least somebody provide a fairly efficient performance in recent weeks. And that's a, that's a huge step in the right direction. You hope for just one more of those steps. KJ, though, playing with his hair on fire. He's getting downhill. He actually shot 10 free throws and... Obviously, that that stands out. That fits his style of play, right? That's that's a big part of what he does. Is he draws that contact and gets to the line, gets those free points, um, just just an an electric performance. And he ties his career high. I don't think I said that. He set that career high. You remember against the UCLA game? Um, I know that. Obviously, from LA, he isn't necessarily best friends with everybody who plays at UCLA. So that was a big kind of emotional sort of game for Keyshawn, or sorry, for KJ. Now you have this Cal game, and again, in California, does he know those guys? He probably knows a couple of them. Um, but he was he was playing with his hair on fire, and, and toward the end of the game, he really did just take that over. Um, so he tied with Jabari for the lead in points. 
Evan has 18. He's right behind him. Six of 10 from the field, two of two from three, six rebounds, three assists, a couple turnovers, uh, a block, though. Again, just it's good to see that from Evan, right? Because that's not necessarily his role on this team. Um, and that's that's kind of the interesting dynamic with Evan, I think, is that he's not he's not a star player in terms of what he does on the court. You know, he's he's really, really, really good at his role. Um, and, and that's why in the past, you know, when he has a point guard, it just makes everything so easy for him and he can pick up those easy points. Uh, now, at this point in his career, he does have a solid post game. And, and if you're looking for a bucket, you can feed Evan and, and see if he can get something cooking in the post. But, again, that's still probably not the primary look for the team. Again, what you expect from him, he's putting up, what, 11 points per game? That's, that's more what Evan does. But that's why it's so fun to see him put up these 18 points. And I don't think that this is the last time we'll see a performance like this from Evan. Um, I wonder... I wonder what it's going to look like, right? Does, does he kind of go out with a bang? He, he doesn't have too many games left at CU. Um, and then you're hoping so, right? You, you want to see him drop 20 points a couple times. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But again, I just, it's fun to watch Evan play basketball. He plays a really fun brand of basketball. And he's a very needed piece right now. And one of the most important players on the team, obviously. E- even if you don't count the the off-court stuff, the intangible stuff. Um, but but really, really solid game from Evan. Outside of that, I mean, Keyshawn had eight. Tristan had four. Uh, Neek had two. Luke O'Brien, Julian Hammond, neither of them score. It was really those other three doing all the scoring. And... That's not what we've seen from this team in the past, right? Like this season, it's been maybe maybe somebody gets up there, maybe somebody gets to 19, and maybe somebody else gets to like 15, 16, but the, the scoring has been a little bit more spread out. And I, I, there's there's pros and cons to, to these different styles. You know, you look around the NBA and it's like, what, you have Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, and I guess they just broke that up. It's like, yeah, if each of those guys drops 20, the rest of the team can combine for 50, and uh, then you're you're good to go. If all those guys drop 25, which is very much on the table, then y- you know there's just different ways to go about scoring. The part that I don't necessarily like is uh, not knowing who those guys are. And, and right now, you know that Jabari's one of them, right? Like, if, you, if you're just going to have a few guys put up a bunch of points, who's going to do it? Jabari's number one on that list. From there, though, it's like, who who is second? Is Keyshawn second? Is Tristan second? Well, the two guys who were right up there last game, Evan and KJ, like, they've got to be in that conversation, too. Uh, we've seen Neek do that. So, it, 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 it's nice to have a hierarchy. It, it's nice to... It, it creates natural leaders, right? It's really hard to be a leader who, you know, say for Neek, for example, like the leader with two points and sure he throws up the six rebounds, has a couple blocks. Like it's, again, we don't want to, we don't want to just try to turn what Neek does into the number of points that he scores. Like that's very reductive, but it does help to be able to say, Hey, it's me, Kobe, the guy who drops 25 every single time we go play. And, when you're a young team that's establishing an identity, you don't really know who necessarily needs to be getting the ball. Not knowing who whose night it is and being willing to throw them a the ball, I mean, it, it can cause some issues. And again, there's really no fixing it, but that's the value in having. Let's just let's just all score ten. If, if everybody scores ten, are, are all eight guys who get onto the floor in a game. Well, guess what? There's 80 points right there, and that's a really solid number. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that was just kind of interesting how it all worked out um, and something to probably pay attention to because there'll probably be different people. Uh, Tristan in particular. Tristan has had a lot of really good games recently. This one, pretty quiet. Pretty quiet. And that's disappointing. It's always going to be disappointing when that's the case. But he has this stretch where... Uh, he'd, he'd hit double digits in nine of his last 11. It was 
four of his first 12 that that had happened. Um, he's coming off 15 points the game before, uh, 14 the game before that. And doing it really efficiently, too. That's the other thing that stands out. You know, that's... I, he rarely takes more than six or seven shots a game and is still putting up nine points a game, 9.3 points per game right now. So going one for four from the field, uh, throwing a couple turnovers out there, uh, four rebounds, but putting these numbers up while playing 32 minutes, it leaves some to be desired. And that's... that's Obviously disappointing. I'm not concerned about Tristan, but I do think that it's pretty clear that he is not a finished product right now. He, while, while Jabari has kind of taken his game to the point where you know what you're getting from him, like like you're you're surprised when he doesn't hit double digits. How often has that happened this season? Like he's he has 14 double doubles. They said on the broadcast nobody else in the Pac-12 has more than seven. He's he's kind of running away with that because of the consistency, right? That's that's how you get something like 14 double-doubles. Um, he's had double-digit points in all but two games this season. And so he's shown that consistency. And, I mean, recently he's really upped that. I mean, just looking backwards, 19 points, 24, 22, 15, 11, 11, 14, 24, 19, 13, 18. Like, he's really, really leveled up this season. And... You know, Tristan, he's starting to have these games that you really like, but you you just need to turn into the guy who does it every night, and that's probably something that happens next season. If he wants to do it right now, that'd be cool with me, though. Um, and, and I think that that's the story for a lot of these guys. Um, Keyshawn, obviously. KJ, obviously. Uh, Luke had a really, really great game against Oregon State. Pretty quiet here. And, and that's that's not a huge surprise. You know, he's not somebody who we expected to just step on the floor and day one be the superstar of this basketball team. No, he, he played garbage time last year outside of a couple of occasions. This year, he's he's found his way into the back end of the rotation, and he's put his stamp on a couple of these games, a few of these games, and more often than not, he's quiet. And again, the next step for him, make it 50-50. 50-50 that we're saying, hey, pay attention to what Luke is doing in this one. Instead of right now, it's like 20% of the time, 15% of the time, whatever. And by the time he's a senior, he will be a very important player for Colorado. It's just this growth that's been frustrating all season, but something that we knew coming into it. Again, when, when you come into the season saying this is a really, really young team and it... <sighs> It, it's it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a grind. It's going to be a roller coaster. You know, there's going to be games where you start really hot and you say, wow, this is the best team. And, and you wind up losing that game. There's going to be games where you say, oh, no, this team is terrible. But then they come back and find a way to win it. And there's going to be games where you say both of those things and three other things all in the same game. There's also going to be weekends that, that are really tough or are really great. There's going to be two-week stretches. And so there's just all these things that are going up and down and up and down. And coming into the season, you know that it's going to be a roller coaster, but it's different knowing what's on the way and actually living it out. And to be at this point right now where Colorado's won four games in a row, and that's what we were asking for, right? Late in the season, be a good basketball team. And so far, they've shown that late in the season, they've been a good basketball team. They seem to have turned a corner. And again, it's not like they're playing UCLA and USC right now, but if they had had Eli Parquet, I mean, they were two shots away from sweeping that weekend. Uh, I guess two shots away from sending it to overtime both, right? So I guess you're really like four shots away uh, from, from sweeping that weekend, though. And we would be talking about this team so much differently if that had happened. You know, then they'd be sitting here at... Uh, 19 and seven right now. They'd be 11 and five in Pac-12 play. They'd be way up there in the, in the net rankings. They'd be on the bubble right now, if not in. They'd they'd have those signature wins under their belt, which is the big piece of their resume that is currently missing. You know what is their best win this season? It's a at Oregon. Sorry, it's definitely at Oregon. What's their second best win this season, though? And again, Oregon's a bubble team. It's not like they did anything crazy, but here we are. And there's a a couple weeks left. It starts tonight against Stanford. Hopefully, they can pull it out. And if they do, that'd be a great tone setter into a massive weekend 
you've got Arizona. You've got Bobby Hurley coming here too. Like I know that that's not a team that's looked all that scary this season, and and the I, I will be betting on Colorado to beat Arizona State when Arizona State is in Boulder. Like I think there's just a lot of things that point toward that being a really really good bet. Still though, that is far from a guarantee. And then you got to bounce back on Saturday, that six o'clock start against Arizona. Whew. National TV too. I mean, that's I, I guess it's ESPN two or ESPNU, but it's it, we haven't gotten many of those. You know, this. I mean, it's going to be Pac twelve network for Arizona State. They were just on ESPNU before that. Pac twelve for a few games. This is a big one. This is a really big one, and I think that in past big games. In past big games, we saw some pretty good things. Um, we saw them compete with UCLA. We saw them compete with USC. Um, we saw them go into Oregon and beat Oregon. But hopefully being a, a month or so removed from all of that, they'll be ready to, to put their best effort forward because Arizona is a really good basketball team. Again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here just an exciting time and it's good to be excited by what's going on with these buffs uh this late in the season it's all we could have asked for um i've got some thoughts on the whole situation with the college football playoff not expanding we're gonna dig into those but first want to remind you guys about our friends over at ball so what is ball ball is an aerospace uh technology company they, they do all sorts of things what they're best known for is their aluminum cans either that or having the rights to ball arena the naming rights obviously um they're they focus on diversity. They focus on inclusion. Um, aluminum cans are actually infinitely recyclable. I think, yeah, yeah, I think it's infinitely recyclable, which means that you can use it over and over again. 75% of the aluminum that's ever been created in the United States, it's still in use today. That's because it is so recyclable. They make over 100 billion cans a year over at Ball, and you can be a part of that. Um, if, if you're interested in joining their plant at Golden, and there's a bunch of reasons to be interested. You know, starting wage is, uh, let me make sure that's right. Yeah, twenty-seven thirty-nine an hour. That's a pretty great, pretty great starting wage. Uh, potential for increases at 6, 12, 18 months. Um, exposure to a bunch of other manufacturing opportunities in the plant. Um, it's a technician role, but they can help with all the different stages if, if you're more interested in moving to a different position at some point. Um, it's a great company. Like I said, focus on diversity, inclusion. They have a culture of belonging, according to the Human Rights Campaign, a corporate equity score or equality score of 100%, which uh, that's the biggest percent. Text Golden to 77222. You'll get linked to open positions. You can also go directly to jobs.ball.com and search for Golden. That's jobs.ball.com and search for Golden or simply text Golden to 77222. All right. So uh, college football playoff, not expanding, which, again, is really disappointing. Um, it's something that I I feel very deeply about, and I think a lot of people do. Um, but we've talked about all these things before. It's been a few months just because, you know, nothing has really come up in terms of uh, the college football playoff. So here's the deal. So basically what came out yesterday was a statement that um, basically everyone shared. Like, like I got the email from the college football playoff people, like everybody did, um, basically saying, we're sticking with the four-team format through the end of the 2025 season. And the the general consensus has been that everybody's really disappointed. Um, George Klyovkov tweeted yesterday that he was really disappointed and basically said, like, I'm a college football fan too. And just from that perspective, like, I just want to have those college football games because it seems like it'd be a lot of fun. But on top of that, there's, like, the business reasons why it makes sense to to provide more games that are going to get more exposure than the alternative, which leads to more money. And I think that for a lot of people, it's frustrating to see because it just makes sense to expand it from a purely financial perspective. Um, a bunch of complicating factors, though. So many complicating factors. And, you know, there's 
let's let's start with like why maybe the conferences wouldn't want to do it. And that's kind of the biggest deal I think is that every conference has its own interests. And obviously a lot of those are driven by what will make us the most money. But I mean, you think about what is best for the SEC, for example, because so far they've really owned the college football playoff. And while that was the strongest conference before the college football playoff became a thing, they've really used that that college football playoff to increase their the margin between them and like the Big Ten is probably the second strongest conference. And so do you really want to turn the college football playoff into a 12-team playoff where, sure, you still might have three teams instead of your two or four teams instead of your two even, but the attention does get divided up a little bit. And I know like last year, it looked like the Big Ten would probably get the most teams. And so this this attention that inevitably winds up being on the SEC because, I mean, they basically always have a team in the championship they typically have two teams in the playoff, and they haven't missed a playoff, obviously. They would have reason to say, you know what? Yeah, we'd make money, but we'd also kind of lose some of that margin in terms of what makes us so dominant in college football. And on top of that, like we're making this money, but also you guys are making the money too. And if everybody just adds another $10 million to their budget, it's not like that puts us further ahead. And I think that that part can get lost in terms of college football too, because it's not just about having as much money as possible. It's, it's in terms of the competitive side of things, the big difference is how much money you have compared to everybody else. You know, and I guess that's true in really any economy. Like you think like if the government just says, Hey, everybody have $10,000. It's like, well, yeah, that's great, but that means like prices go up because it's not like that means there's whatever you people buy. There, there isn't more bread in the economy. You know, there's still whatever. Or let's that's a bad example. How about how about batteries? It's like just because people have more money doesn't mean that there are more double A batteries out there. Um, and so the the battery makers will say, well. We need to sell these batteries for the most they'll buy. So they'll wind up going to the same people that they'd normally buy because they have the most assets or most need in theory. And so they would be willing to spend more of that 10000 And so, But the point is, it's the difference in wealth between one school and another. Like, who cares if, guess what, you, you now have another $50 million. Oh, cool, buy every kid on the football team a new car every year. But also... Every other school has another $50 million, and guess what? Every team or every kid on all those teams are getting new cars every year, too. Like, you know, that's practically how it works. At the same time, the SEC hasn't been super opposed to expansion, honestly, kind of surprisingly. Um, and I think part of that is them... First of all, it's a bad look to oppose it because outside of the SEC, people want it, and, you know, there's the alliance being formed, and they don't... They don't want to turn it into like an us versus everybody else, not because they don't think that they'd win, but because it's just like easier to not to. And it's it's better to have those relationships. Um, things are going well for the SEC, so don't piss everybody off, basically. And you can take that position when you know that everybody else is fighting about a whole bunch of different things, because it's not just the power five conferences that need to agree on an, on a format. It's the the group of five conferences as well and so if you're saying like oh we go to eight teams five of them are the power five conference winners one is the highest rated non-power five conference winner and then we get two more that are just the the two best remaining teams that aren't conference winners and that's how we're going to do it and then all of the the group of five schools would say well wait a minute the the pac-12 their champion was the the seventh best champion in terms of the rankings last year. So why should they get in over a higher ranked champion of our conference? And the Pac-12 says, well, that's one of the things that makes us special is that we just assume that we're better because we're the power five and we need to have these things. And so, so you get into that fight. Or is it the five power five champions plus the best of the rest of the champions? Or is it just the six best champions overall? And, and there's these little details and on top of that, it's like, is it eight teams or is it 12 teams? Um, and, and all that stuff. And there was a report that came out today that said, you know, the Rose Bowl was upset. And the Rose Bowl, which 
is prone to being upset. It's one of those things that I didn't know about before I started covering the Pac-12, but my goodness, is it easy to upset the Rose Bowl. Um, this time, they, they didn't want to have to change like the date of their game, or the time, or any of that stuff. And Again, I get it. Like If you're the Rose Bowl guy, and your whole job is like, I make sure the Rose Bowl is good, and under your watch, the time of the game changes for the first time in 100 years or whatever, it's like, eh. I don't want to be that guy. Like I, my job is to protect the Rose Bowl. Like, sure, I get it, but also we look at it from the outside, and it's like, my goodness, that's what's holding this whole thing up because there is a lot of money out there. And the truth is, you know, if if it's a twelve-team playoff, you wind up with eight more teams who would be in the top bowl games now going to the playoff, and those are replaced by the next eight best teams. Like, yeah, that'd be. That'd be disappointing for for the Bulls, but the Bulls would the the total viewership would obviously go up because the playoff games would actually matter, right? And for somebody like me who it's like, yeah, yeah, I might I'll turn on the New York Six Bulls. Uh, I'll try to remember to bet on them so that I have like a reason to care. I'm not gonna watch most of the other Bulls to be honest, and. All of a sudden, if those other bowls were like March Madness and it's a whole 64-team playoff, and it's like, yeah, I'm tuned in to every single one of those. I'm calling in sick to, I don't know, answering my phone calls from my mom or something because I got to watch those. And that's just the way that it works. And so you look at this whole thing and say, well, there is more money to be made for the college football industry as a whole if they were to make this move. But... For the Rose Bowl in particular, obviously there's reason to, to push back and say, whatever, we have this contract and we don't want that, or like you have to respect it, or whatever. You know, ESPN broadcasts, I think, all the Bulls. There might be like one weird one that they don't, but I think it's all the Bulls. Maybe it's the Rose Bowl. Who knows? It's, the Rose Bowl is so complicated. But, uh, you know, what does ESPN say when they say, hey, actually, we're going to... Uh, we're going to uh, still let you broadcast these bowl games. You're still getting the Alamo Bowl, but sorry, the Alamo Bowl no longer will have the second-best team in the Pac-12. Well, actually, that's not true. It'll continue to have the second-best finisher in the Pac-12 minus any of the college football playoff qualifiers. And while that typically means like every other year, you're, you're getting the third-best team, the rest of them you're getting the second-best team, well, now we're expecting to probably get two. And you're going to be getting the fourth best team for that bowl. And good luck broadcasting that. And we want the same amount of money. And again, you could get in those negotiations and change things. ESPN, the ball would really be in their court because they they would want to have... I mean, you, you basically need their permission probably to make those changes. And I haven't read that contract because why the hell would I? But there's all that going on. It's like, well, what if you gave ESPN the rights to some of these games? It's like, yeah, you can make that work too. But again, the the point isn't that it's impossible. The point is that it's really, really, really complicated. And they spent, the College Football Playoff Committee and the NCAA and whoever else spent about a year trying to figure out, can we do this? And the answer was just no. It's like, it was too complicated. We might as well just wait till 2026. Because on top of that, like you get back to the team stuff too, where the, the team's would say, you know, or the, the conferences say, we uh, we think it should be eight teams or 12 teams, or we think these people should go, or these people should go, or no more than three people from any conference should go, or blah, 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 blah. And it just goes and goes and goes, and there's no pressure to make a change. You know, when, when the contract expires after the 2025 season, well, you need to have a plan. Everybody needs to to suck it up and agree to a plan. And if you don't agree to a plan, well, guess what? There's just no college football playoff. And right now, there isn't that pressure. You don't need to make a plan. You need everybody to find something they like better than the current plan. And that's just a different world because there is a status quo that you can revert back to. And that won't be the case next time around. And that's one of the many reasons it's a lot easier to do this then. Um, and does that mean that the Rose Bowl is probably going to get screwed at that point? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's so many different things that could happen. You know, could, could uh, you just make the Rose Bowl the quarterfinal game, semifinal game, or whatever? 
It's like, yeah, you could find a way to do that. They want to be there same time no matter what, and blah, 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 blah. Sure, but there's just so many little things. And on top of all that, like, screw the Bulls, right? Like, that's that's where I'm at. I mean, the bowl season should be basically the preseason for college football. I think that you you should really be saying like hey Colorado you're playing whoever let's let's get with like this marketing department for the city of Austin we're gonna go down we're gonna play this game in Austin we're gonna help put together these vacation packages and as much as I hate neutral site games and maybe some of you are surprised to hear me say that that's the way it should work it's like hey these bowl games are not going to go away and the there's too much money to be made and too many partnerships to make, and all of these different things. I mean, hell, I mean, if if the Buffs really want to be committed to recruiting Houston, make a deal with the city of Houston to go down there and play a game in Houston every year and take whatever comes with that. And and you'll start to build that fan base down there. You'll have kids saying, like, hey, here's the weekend of Colorado, come, second weekend of September, here they are. Like, There's so many different ways to do it, and... It's all just a business. It's all just a business. And the 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 further along we get into the history of college football, the the better the business people behind the scenes are. And the better the business people are, the more changes there are. And the 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 more it becomes clear to outsiders that it's a business. The more the fans see the business aspects. The more fans have to think about the business aspects. You know, whether it's whether it's the NIL where it's like, yeah, it does kind of make sense that they should be allowed to do that. But also, in some ways, it can be pretty shitty for the fan experience. You know, it's like, oh, well, these uh whatever games that have to be played in Denver instead of in Boulder because you can make more money and they have the suites there, so you can make a lot more money. It's like, yeah, I mean, understand the logic. Yeah, you gotta you gotta make money. That's the world we live in. That's how you compete in college football. Sure is shitty that you didn't get to play at Texas A&M, but it is what it is because we all know that that's just because somebody 20 years ago or something said, "Hey, we should play this game there and make some money," and then it just slowly caught on because it was a good idea by a good business person. It's like, ah, whatever. Just give me my 2014 playoff. That's the way it is in the FCS. It's incredible. Those players don't bitch and whine about playing too many games in a season. Like, it's it's fine. <laughs> there will be just fine, and it really is incredible. And those, if, if you're going to be playing any games on campus, please, dear God, make it the playoff games. That is when you need that. At, that is college football at its best. And, again, like, I recognize that – most of you, most of you have never even seen a, a college football playoff game on campus, right? Because there's a lot of a lot of you who probably just never watched the FCS playoffs. And again, I can't fault you for that. I can't say FCS football is as good as FBS football. Of course it isn't. But I will say that from what I have seen, and I've actually been to plenty of these playoff games in person. Shout out the dominance of the Montana Grizzlies, but. They are just spectacular. And what that does to a town, I mean, I get, I mean, I've been up here for Nebraska games and those sorts of things, but playoff football is just special. And that needs to be on campus because that is the best thing that happens in college football. Best thing possible is a, a playoff game on a college campus. And I am I'm confident that someday we'll get there, and I'm praying that it's going to happen in 2026. And, and here's the other thing that I kind of take solace in as we wait and wait and wait. And these are the things where it's like, hey, these first one, I might be 30. I might be 30 when this happens. And there's a lot of reasons that college football moves slowly, the scheduling so far in advance, all that stuff. But, like, I... I might be 30 by the time this happens. Could you imagine... And but but yeah we can we can move along. Uh, what what was my final thought here? Um, bu- 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 oh yeah, I do think that when this happens and you do wind up with a twelve team playoff, and even if they say like yeah the the championship the semifinal those are those are gonna be bowl games or whatever because the bowls history it's like yeah it, dumb 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 but you. You'll have these early games, like the first round will be on campus, second round will be on campus. 
once that happens, that's when people will say, oh yeah, we are, we will be getting rid of the, the semifinal games not being on campus because look at the two things that are happening here. This one, you're in some, congrats, like the Mercedes-Benz Dome. This one, you're at the freaking big house and everybody's losing their mind in a way that has never been possible in the past. Like as soon as people see it, it will expand all the way through and probably not to the championship. Neutral site championship just makes so much sense for a lot of reasons, but <sighs> change is slow. Change is so, so slow. Really excited for those uh, Alliance games coming up here in like half a decade or something. Like that's, it's it's fine when things are going well, but when there's issues in college football and people are frustrated with the way college football is, that's when the inability to move quickly and change things quickly and and be adaptable it's just killer you know for the Pac-12 you sign a 10-year 12-year deal for your TV stuff it's like yeah if if that turned out to be a really good deal you're you're just fine it's like yeah let's not deal with that for as long as we can when it turns out to be a pretty shitty deal boy does it suck to not be able to to make any moves at all so there we go. There's a bunch of thoughts on all that stuff. We're over an hour. I've got some other things to do uh, in the uh, five hours for this basketball game. Wanna wanna want me to go off on some uh, 8 p.m. starts? No, it's not that bad. But uh, that's gonna do it for today. I think we'll actually be live tonight after the game. Still need to get that totally set up, but I believe that'll be the case. And if not, uh, it'll be a podcast either tonight or tomorrow morning, something like that, to to talk about the game. Hopefully, the Buffs will have five in a row. That'd be uh that'd be a lot of fun. There'd be some really positive momentum going into this final stretch of the season. And uh, there you go. Oh, also the DMVR Buffs Twitter account. I tweeted out a, a poll, and the the question was, who's gonna be the starting quarterback in twenty twenty two? I always forget what year it is. Oh, I just said this fall in the poll because uh I didn't want to get that wrong. Um, but. I'm curious how that's going to turn out. We're, we'll probably talk about that a little bit at some point. So go vote in that poll because I'm curious what everybody thinks about that situation. Um, that's going to do it for today. I'm going to get out of here and uh, we'll talk soon.